the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Barton Simmons. That's Danny Cannell. Four wide here on a Monday. Uh, we got a lot to get to. Hey, we've got a, a Big Ten schedule that has been released. We will, in the future, we got some time. All right, we they, they start October 24th, so don't worry. We will get your win totals to you uh, for the Big Ten. We just need to do some research and let our odds makers crunch the numbers before we, uh, we unveil those. But we've seen your comments on Twitter. And so, yes, uh, first, we will have those Big Ten win totals for you. The SEC also kicks off the first SEC on CBS game of the week. LSU at Mississippi State, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can stream it on CBS All Access. You can see it on Big CBS, cbssports.com and CBS Sports HQ for all of your pregame, halftime, postgame needs. We are also going to be uh, taking the lessons that we've learned, throw them in some rankings, compare them, see what everyone's got on their notepad coming out of the weekend. But we begin with breaking news late Sunday night. It was rumor. Is he going to be coming in to the world of college football coaching as a head coach or is he going to be staying in the media no made official on sunday night and introduced on monday hall of famer deon sanders taking over jacksonville state um danny your boy Right here, are you? Are what? What is your like? How do you balance the the celebrity aspect of this? You know the yep. the sort of big name aspect of this. The you know what what is the ramp here? What is the ceiling? What is the expectation? You know how how, how do we how are we supposed to balance being really excited, Ooh. but then also trying to figure out what comes next? Or like, is this going to be a complete dumpster fire? Yes, like yes. I, I think there's yeah. all of these yeah. are legitimate okay. questions that come into play. Um, I. This was surprising to me. I mean, I thought because it was the rumor came out, what, last Thursday-ish? It mm-hmm. came out like, hey, there's reports he was going to go there. Then the school said he's not even one of our finalists. And so you're like, okay, here we go again. Dion must be floating his name out there just like he did with the Florida State job when he leaked it to the NFL Network and they came out and said he was a legit candidate for, for the Florida State job. So I'm thinking, I'm rolling my eyes and I'm thinking, man, this is starting to look bad for Dion. Like these these reports that keep getting shot down – and then all of a sudden, it's like, yep, he's our guy. Like, let's go. <laughs> and then today, you know, not to be uh, disappointed with the grand entrance with the fire, you know, the the uh, the policemen's your police <laughs> sirens, the motorcade coming through, the marching band is there. Like, here we go. The Deion Sanders era has begun. I will say this. I don't. So knowing all of this, I don't know how much to believe, but I do know one thing for sure. Dion wants to be a college football head coach and he wants to be a college football head coach at the highest level. He had told me in person that he had a couple offers within the sec this past year and that they didn't fit him for whatever reason. Uh, he told to me be the he head coach. A, yes. To be a oh. head coach. <laughs> I mean, come on, <laughs> Dion. Exactly. Now he also told like, I mean, no sec, uh, and one of them, there was, there was a bad job. So he wasn't going to take it. It was a bad job. Couldn't turn it around. Um, also told me that, you know, he was one of the finalists for Florida state, regardless of what anybody says, he was in the conversation. He did meet with them. He also told me, he guaranteed me he was going to be a head coach in college football within the, within the year. And this was at the Super Bowl in you know, January, late January, early February, 2020. So he got that part, right? I, I don't know. Like the first thing that's a little bit of a head scratcher, and I'm not familiar with HBCU play, right? But when I hear a coach is going to finish out his season first with his high school job, 
before he starts really focusing on this one, it's like a first thing that I'm like, that that doesn't seem like it'd be ideal for the school that he's going to. Like if that was a even a group of five school, are you kidding me? That wouldn't fly. Like they'd be no. You got to get to you got to hit the ground running. You got to go. So I think it's great for um, great for the school. Like hey, good for them. Good exposure. Maybe he can win. Yeah, I was looking at some of their records. They've been okay, not atrocious. It's not like he's taking over a a winless program program. But I, I don't know. I just. I think this is all about the announcement. And then after that, I don't know if we're going to hear much about it unless they run the table. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jackson state, by the way, not Jacksonville state. That, I misspoke yeah, right there. Bad. Jackson, yeah. Mississippi, uh, not Jacksonville floor. Okay. Sorry, Tom. I was just going to say, I, I don't know when the high school season ends, but Jackson state's first game as currently scheduled. Isn't until February 20th. So I suppose that gives him some time, but I, I agree. That is kind of weird that he would become the head coach. He's like, but I'm going to finish coaching my son in high school first. It's, it's also weird. Like you mentioned the, the way that the things went down. It's also kind of strange that it's, I'm staying at high school, my high school gig first, and then I'll take over. But he also announced it on the first episode of his new podcast. So I wonder if the news leaks early and then Jackson State shut it down simply because Dion wanted to announce it on his podcast before it went public. And maybe that's what it was. But it's, I think if, as far as hiring of getting attention goes for Jackson State, this is obviously already working because it is Deion Sanders. It is a huge personality, a huge name, and it is going to bring a spotlight to the school that, you know, it really hasn't had in a while. So I think as far as just generating a buzz around the program going forward, this is a very good thing. But of course, we have absolutely no idea how Dion's going to work as a coach, how Dion's going to work as a recruiter. Although I do think that based on what we know of Dion, I do think he's probably going to be pretty good at convincing players to come play for him. He's got a magnetic personality. He's got charisma. So I think that can work for him, but it's, it's definitely made me a lot more interested in Jackson state's 2020 season than I was, you know, on Saturday. Uh, do, do we know what's going to happen? He just announced his big partnership or uh, with Barstool. Like I think we, he's still doing the pod there for them too. While so he's coaching. still so he's still going to be at Barstool. He's still going to be coaching his high school team, and he's and he's going to be trying to build up Jackson. No State. days off. No days off for Dion. Uh, Dion works. I mean, here's like Dion is like yes, he is. He's been successful. He's going to be bringing attention to the program and theoretically he will be able to recruit. But here's the thing about recruiting is I don't care how good a personality you have. Recruiting is about hard work. Recruiting is about consistency, uh, you know, being like constantly a, from an, from a discovery standpoint, but then from an actual recruiting standpoint and like that should be what he's doing right now. And so I don't know. I'll believe it. I believe it when I see it. But I, I, I mean, Deion Sanders, if he's going to work his ass off recruiting, he's going to be really successful at it. And there's a little bit of a HBCU revival going on right now in general. Yeah. I mean, Howard Basketball just signed a five-star prospect in the class of 2020. Like, there will be some opportunity for players to be more open to an HBCU program than maybe in prior years, prior seasons, generations, whatever. Can he capitalize on that? He's certainly capable. Um, but I need to, you know, I, I, I'll be interested to see if he's willing to put in the work. That to me is where this is the, that's, that's like where the table is set for this to get really interesting. If Dion's arrival comes in the midst of this and it, you, you mentioned it right there. Uh, uh, McCor McCor McCare, right? It's not maker, right? Does anybody have the, uh, the pronunciation on this one? All right, McCour, I, I, McCour? It's it look, the same in the same into the same name, both no, first and last. It looks like McCurr Maker, but I think it's oh, okay. McCurr McCare. But I, okay. again, I, I apologize to the You're the future, more dialed into basketball than I am. The, so fu- would, the future Howard uh the future Howard star. If and you know, there was another player in that class that's con- considering going along with it. If if this is a, a combination of, as you mentioned, uh, a real push to HBCUs for top prospects, if Deion Sanders is able to be a part of that, then yeah, all of a sudden Jackson State just 
levels up in a big way, at least in terms of relevance, but then you've also got to have the consistency to be able to double down. It's so much easier for a single player or two players to make a big deal and to change a team in basketball than it is in football. But Mm -hmm. it is, uh, it is something that's like coming up next, at least in terms of a potential possibility for, uh, for that program. Now that they have land landed neon Dion as their new head coach. Uh, Tim McCarver's furious. He is. I don't. I don't. You remember Dion dumped the water on Tim's head in the locker room back when he was playing for the Braves. Oh, <laughs> he's so Good he's call. So, yeah, Great yeah. How about that? Just pulling it out. Uh, Big Ten did a did a bite by bite rollout. You know they they gave you the the tease. They milked the hell oh. out of it. They turned a whole pregame show into a schedule reveal. It was worse than the college football playoff projections where they spent 25 minutes talking about them before they show them to you. Oh, man. I I I love it. Like, I, it annoyed me at the time, but I just, I, I love the audacity of like, we know how badly you guys want these schedules and these dates. We're just going to give it, dole it out to you in pieces. But the, it, Eventually, on Saturday, we did get the entire Big Ten schedule for this uh, eight-game marathon, no bye weeks. Ninth week, ninth game is championship week. Everyone get excited for the number seven team in the East against the number seven team in the West and all of those undercards that will lead up to, like, are we going to go a full day of undercards leading up to the championship <laughs> game on the, at that night on the 19th? We will oh, see. Yeah. I hope so. Uh, any, any thoughts from the first scan of the big 10 schedule? Uh, I think we, I mean, it's, I feel like everybody noticed, but Nebraska kind of got, you know, screwed for its schedule. And I th- I don't think, you know, it's too much of a coincidence to me for it to be an accident, considering that as we've seen since the big 10 originally decided to, you know, cancel or postpone its fall season, Nebraska was the one that leaked the vote. Nebraska was the one that was most vocal about its dissent with the decision from the very start. And the big 10 in its history, even though there's been plenty of disagreement, they've always presented the United front publicly. So when Nebraska was jumping out saying, nope, no, no, this wasn't our decision. This wasn't ours. The big 10 wasn't exactly thrilled with it. And I think that shown through in the schedule. And of course, Nebraska's reaction to seeing the schedule is to complain about it publicly. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there, but the relationship between Nebraska and the big 10 right now, not great. We'll see how it goes going forward though. Danny, I, you know, I, I think it was overlooked. I mean, I think it was one of those things like it's just one more, hey, you guys could have had more of the market, more excitement around it had you done this correctly, right? Like, I mean, I, I think most people were kind of excited about the games that were taking place, even though it wasn't a massive schedule. So that was like my first observation, you know, when they're trying to milk it for all it's worth. The other thing was Nebraska getting kind of screwed. And then the other one was, you know, Michigan having a tough, tough road. And then again, kind of just looking at, all right, how are we going to thread this needle on, on, on the schedule? Like that, that was kind of the two things that jumped out to me. But other than that, I'm just like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think it lost some of its excitement because it was so weird and it wasn't, it didn't feel like a preseason release. I don't know. I, it just didn't quite resonate as much for me like I thought it would have. Here's a question for the three of you guys. Let's let's make believe scenario here, because as we saw, like there's a lot of front loaded big games early in the mm-hmm. schedule. Like you've got Ohio State, Penn State, but the Big Ten did the thing where it always does, where it wants to make sure Ohio State, Michigan is at the end of the year. So let's say it's a week before Ohio State, Michigan, and one of their games is postponed. That thing's just canceled, right? Because yes. there's no way in hell they're going to make it up to skip Ohio State, Michigan. No, no chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Has anybody seen with any conference, Big Ten, ACC, Big like? Does anybody know the tiebreaker rules? Have they released no. those yet? Because I don't I, know if they have either. Like this is going to be a complete disaster, and I almost feel like they don't have them yet. Like they're going to kind of formulate them because I would imagine you what you have to have put a lot of math in there and a lot of different scenarios to try to figure out what's the the fairest way to determine these uh, champions, whether they're division champions or you know it's. I think it's going to be complicated and I think you could see some really intriguing scenarios and I haven't seen anybody say, okay, this is what's going to happen if there is a tie scenario. And what happens if you have some teams that play more within the big 10 even. So that's, you know? that has been addressed. Everyone's just saying winning percentage. 
Mm-hmm. So in theory, if you go, so if you go one and oh, one and oh, and all the rest of your games are canceled, <laughs> exactly. you're winning. All right, well, here's the thing. If you, if like, if you're, if you're Indiana and you start the season one and oh, you're sending all your players out, no masks, go everywhere, <laughs> get really close, talk to every single person you see, rub on them, touch their face, touch your face. Let's get a couple months off. Let's get to the big 10 championship. We're undefeated. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I know that for sure it's winning percentage and their wording of that, it indicates that they believe they might not have balanced schedules across the board. Then if you're tied even within winning percentage, I mean, I guess you just got to go to the the records against common opponents and some of the other tiebreakers that are just built in to your normal conference championship, but... I can't wait. I, I think for the it. ultimate tiebreaker will be since the way that they're scheduling it because they want to make sure that they can get done in time to be in the college football playoff is that if there's any sort of tie, Ohio State wins the conference. Yes. Period. <laughs> Set them to the playoff. <laughs> I wonder if if the SEC so the SEC wins like their last last week of the season is uh, December fifth. Yes. Um, last week of the season for the Big Ten is is what is it the same? Is it uh, it's the twelfth? Twelfth. Twelfth. Yeah. And they don't see the SEC leaves the 12th open, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. And then so they could, that's an extra, they essentially, so, the SEC has two buys. Two bye weeks extra. built in. Okay. So eight, so basically it's an, it's an eight with no bye weeks for Big Ten and 10 with two bye weeks for the SEC. So yeah, I was just thinking about like the possible, like, you know, the, the Big Ten and, and, and then the, the ACC and the Big 12, the, the ACC could potentially, push their season back a little bit as well. I, I just continue to look at this disparity in games. Like it's still, I, I still am convinced this is going to be like a five or six game season at best for the big 10. And then, you know, compare that against whatever you're going to have in the sec or the ACC or the big 12. And it feels like you're going to be looking at, at, at nine game, eight game minimum seasons, um, which is going to be, I think a tough perception battle for the big 10 to fight. Oh, who cares as long as it's Ohio State. And that's the thing, like, you know, the you came out from the schedule release looking at Ohio State's schedule. Look, Ohio State had a good schedule. It's every damn season Ohio State looks at his schedule and it's like, all right, we've got the Penn State game and that's that's it. You know, like, <laughs> as long as we beat Penn State, we're set. It is like, yeah, sure. You'll, you'll throw that Wisconsin game in there and we'll get all excited about the Wisconsin game. And then Wisconsin's going to get there. And that awesome offensive line is not going to be able to block Zach Harrison. And he's going to do the same thing. Chase young did and have like four sacks and six tackles for loss in the game. Like I, I just think that the Ohio state schedule every single year looks very manageable because Ohio State has got that kind of separation from the rest of the conference. It is it is like Clemson in the ACC and it is like Oklahoma in the Big 12. That is Ohio State's distance from the rest of the league. So is is there a because you yes, you're right, Chip, but then they go and they lose uh, as a 20-point favorite to <laughs> Purdue or to Iowa or so who's Then you miss there, out on the college football playoff and you get and you get in like you still win the Big 10 title but you just miss out on the college football playoff. Who's who is the who's the threat as a twenty point dog to beat Ohio State this year? Okay, Michigan, like Michigan State or something. Hell yeah, Mel Tucker gets that team. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it'll be best. I don't think it'll be Michigan State. But let's see who they play. And besides, they got from the they got West. The, they got Nebraska. They got Penn State. Not Rutgers, Nebraska. Maryland, Indiana, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan State, Michigan. Right. Indiana. I I I agree. Indiana is probably like the best team. You don't think about that could beat them, but. Who knows? I love football. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Tucker, capital F football guy. Uh, all right. Speaking of the SEC and the perception battle, the SEC is finally going to kick off this week. And we've been, you know, they've, they've been hanging around in these rankings. And I'm, I'm ready to, to, to get them in because I'm ready to shake up the top. You know, just just too much gravity is just pulling uh, all those SEC teams up to the top, and I'm, I'm ready to see some teams take some L's. So uh, with an eye ahead to this first week of SEC play, what game is standing out as the one that has your attention to being the most intriguing? Well, I'm a good company, man, so I'm yeah, going to say LSU and Mississippi State. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that this is just 
even if it's not on CBS, I feel like we've got so many questions about LSU. You know, they're the defending champions, but they're in a situation where they've got so much to replace on both sides of the ball from, you know, at key positions and not just from a player standpoint, but they've got a new offensive core, not a new offensive coordinator, but they're replacing Joe Brady on offense, who a lot of people, you know, gave a lot of a lot of the credit for for that offensive turnaround last year and they've got to replace Dave Aranda on defense as a defensive coordinator bringing Bo Pelini back into the picture so there are so many questions that need to be addressed with this team that we don't have the answers for and then you throw in kind of a crazy offseason where everybody's impacted by the offseason but I think that with a team like LSU where there's so much turnover we can't really say for sure what that kind of like how large and significant the impact is going to be on them. So in their first game of the season against the Mississippi State team going through its own crazy transition, this this could be kind of a weird, kind of scary, creepy, freaky kind of game. I'm really interested to see what happens. It's it's early in the season, though, and this is going to be like as much as anything like that game is just It'll just be interesting to see the state of Mississippi State's offense. Is it is it functional? Is it like wide open? Like wow, oh, air raid? Or is it like oh, this is this is the air raid? Like <laughs> this just not quite to where it needs to be against an opponent like LSU. So I'm I'm just I'm I'm more intrigued than anything else in that game. I, I'm I'm fairly confident LSU is going to win it. Uh, but as many new faces as there are with LSU, like that's going to be. Um, fun to see like kind of what freshman flash I got a, I got a hunch I know a couple um the the game that I'm excited about is is like to me the clear game of the week it's I'm I'm just <laughs> just just got you know you, you know it's coming Kentucky Auburn yes <laughs> yes yeah I know if you had that on the bingo card Kentucky Auburn that is I'm I'm very excited about that game because I think we're we're like it's it's a game where we determine whether or not Kentucky is a legitimate SEC East upstart type of team, or whether they just get spanked back down to the the middle class of the SEC with with Auburn and and all their big dudes on offense and defense. I I see Danny <laughs> shaking his head. I am of the opinion that Kentucky is pretty dang good. And I am very interested in testing that theory right out of the gate against an Auburn team that is going to look a little different than they did last year. Um, and so one way or the other, the, this this Kentucky team is going to be figured out pretty quick this year. I love it. I can't wait to watch this game unfold. It's not my game of the way. It's not okay. the one that I have my eyes on. Neither of the ones you guys have gone there. But I'm like you... I mean, there is – it's like two different conferences, right? You watch the East and the West. And, you know, we've talked about the SEC West for a long, long time running college football, right? The dominance of the SEC West. Outside of teams, Florida, Georgia, like are there many really big wins there for the East versus the West? This is an opportunity or else it's going to be the same narrative that un- unfolds between these two. My game, by the way – you guys are complete. You guys are all missing the boat. I want to see a game that comes down to the wire. And I'm curious to know if you guys haven't looked yet, what do you think the spread is for the South Carolina versus Tennessee game? Have you, any of you guys looked at it? Vols minus three and a half. And it is my game as well. Please take that us is there. My game yeah. For that reason, like I'm sitting there when you see that game and I didn't check the line, I'm like, oh, Tennessee's got to be at least a touchdown favorite, right? I mean, this is supposed to be their year. Jeremy Pruitt wins five in a row plus a bowl game. Oh man, they're gonna they Tom, they're gonna beat Bama, right? Let's go. <laughs> yes, and then so, and then what else have we said? Will Muschamp, hot seat, ugh, you know, rough year for South Carolina. Oof, you know, name Colin Hill their starter this week. Just sitting there, and I see a field goal, you know, three and three, three and a half point line. I'm like what? What's really going on here? And it kind of goes back to the the East versus the West competition. Is this going to be, you know, two middle-of-the-road East teams that are playing against each other? Or is Tennessee going to take over this one and show themselves to be truly, okay, are they in that upper stratosphere? Could they beat Alabama? 
I don't think so. But could they, or could they beat somebody of consequence on their schedule? But they better be make sure they beat the Gamecocks first, because if they don't, how Tennessee would it be to come in with all this, you know, expectation, all this hype, and to lay a complete egg in the first game of the season? Like that would be very much a Tennessee thing to do. So I can't wait to watch that game and see what happens. That game to me has like 20 to 14 fourth quarter, Colin Hill gets the ball and it's going to be won or lost on that final drive. Like I, the, the rock fight potential of Jeremy Pruitt against Will Muschamp, like the, the way that both those teams are going to try so hard not to lose that game instead of going out there and trying to win that game. I am. It is my game of the week. I can't wait for it. And like all AP rankings are about to be thrown off once the Big Ten teams come back. But that number that fans are going to see on the screen when Tennessee makes its debut is 15. And if Tennessee is struggling, I mean, even if they have to come out with a hard-fought win, one that probably reflects well on South Carolina for being competitive in that game, you're still going to come out of that with like that. That was the 15th best team in the country. The one that just went and like struggled with South Carolina. Are you, are you sure about that? I, I love that that game is going to be decided at the line of scrimmage. Like I, I cannot wait to see uh, what Colin Hill does in this South Carolina offense. Are we going to see that little, uh, are we going to see that freshman that got moved to wide receiver? Are we going to see them scoot a little bit? What's the, what's the Gamecocks offensive expectation now that we got Mike Bobo in the fold and his former Colorado state quarterback? going to slow it down. We're going to go a lot of two tight end, three tight end sets, and we're going to run the ball. <laughs> I mean, I, it's funny, like, as, as, when you think about the way this game matches up, Tennessee versus South Carolina, you, you, it is, it is, that has become a game where the strengths of those teams are kind of in the, like, in the trenches. Like, they're trying to build, like, in a way, like, the, the East has become the West, and the West has become the East in terms of sort of some of the stylings of, of how the rosters are being built. Now the, the West has become the East with better players, <laughs> like, you know, kind of maybe better coaches, maybe better teams. But, but uh, I think it's interesting just, you know, you have all these Saban acolytes that are trying to build out their programs in the East. And it's a bunch of, I mean, like even Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky's the same way. Like they're an old school West Rock'em Sock'em kind of team too, um, and uh, I, that 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 is just an interesting like evolution to me, and in, in terms of how because like and then you look at Auburn going back to my game, <laughs> you look at Auburn <laughs> and like Chad Morris now trying to inject a little bit of like the old spreadish type of stuff to that Auburn offense, and I I, I just think the the sort of um, characteristics of each division is is starting to shift. Yeah, if uh, if Miami gets up big, I might have to make a television swap to throw uh, South Carolina, Tennessee on the big screen and uh, Miami, Florida State on the stream. We'll have to we'll have to see about that. Uh, coming up on the other side, our lessons taken away from the week three action. Next, Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. <clears throat> kind of like ranking the news, kind of like ranking the games, we're ranking reactions, we're ranking lessons that we learned from the week three in college football. It uh, was the last week that we had without any SEC play that begins this weekend. It wasn't a super busy week, at least for the Big 12. A lot of those teams that played last week had this one off. The only Big 12 game that took place was Oklahoma State's 16-7 to win, but plenty of uh, spots elsewhere in what I thought was a pretty solid day of football all around. Do we want to go 1-3 to three or do we want to go 3-1? Three 3-1. to 3-1. One? Three to one. Three to one. Build okay. up to the, to the biggest takeaway. Biggest takeaway. All right, awesome. Barton, why don't you get us started? Okay. 
My number three is it's actually an off the field storyline. Um, my number three is that player empowerment lives. Players continue to wield the big stick as UMass steps <laughs> yeah. back into yes. the fold and is playing football again. You want to play football this year? Hey, guys out in the uh, Patriot League. Hey, guys in the Big Sky. Hey, my Ivy League brothers. Like, <laughs> put together a graphic, post it on Twitter, sign it, and, and hashtag it, we want to play. The, the athletic director at UMass, like, two days ago was like, I appreciate the concerns, but we're, we just can't we're, – we're not going to play a fall season. And UMass rolls out there with a, well, like a, a, a well-constructed statement on a graphic saying, we want to play. And, like, 24 hours later, they're like, we're back on. And so, you know, we got the MAC doing it, and they're about to play again. We already seen the Pac-12 jumping back in. The Mountain West is, like, diving. So, like, I am, am very excited – for the power of the graphic and that UMass is diving back in. And UMass is going to be a fun team in the sense that like they, they're going to be the team that like everyone, when their game gets canceled, they're going to just call UMass and be like, Hey, Hey, you up? Like, let's, <laughs> let's, let's make this happen. And UMass will be like, we're, we're good. Seven days. See you on Saturday. And I, that's going to be kind of uh, like for, it's going to be kind of a fun storyline to follow. Like UMass is like week by week schedule of just getting the the leftovers from everybody else. Did you say as we've UMass seen, football? As we've seen already, we've seen teams try to like North Carolina couldn't find an opponent. Like they're looking around. This is the perfect like yeah. you up call. Like this <laughs> right. is it. They'll be available. <laughs> They'll be available and ready to go <laughs> last minute. I didn't want to say it because I knew you guys. I didn't think you guys would believe me. But you got the text, right, Chip? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> so, I'm just Walt Bell. I think so. I got a I got a uh, a text exchange with Renee and Goulier from uh, ESPN. He calls games for them. Played at UMass. He said, "Hey, can you pump up a little bit? Give UMass some love. They're trying to play." So their tight end put out a statement. So I retweeted it, and Walt Bell, I guess, took notice of it and said, "Thank you for sticking your neck out for us, brother." <laughs> So just saving college football. One Danny game saved time, the baby. Big Ten. Danny <laughs> saved UMass. Give us more five-star reviews. Danny Cannell is bringing us football team by team. That's right. Who's up next? Come on, bring it. UConn. <laughs> Come on. Yes. No. If you can save UConn, uh, you're tenured, you are tenured on this pod forever. <laughs> Uh, Any athletic director out there who has to schedule <laughs> UMass to fill in a game, you better send a thank you card to Mr. Daniel Cannell, too, because without him, you wouldn't be able to play the game. I want right. uh, I, I want at team meetings, Walt Bell to have a hype video that reveals their opponent the way that they do for bowl games, you know, where it's <laughs> yes. like one by one they start dropping. Awesome. Uh, all right. Change their name to the last minute men this year. Oh, <laughs> um, all right. Danny, what was your number three? So my number three was, and I don't know if Barton's going to like this. Oklahoma state ain't ready for prime time. And I, you know, I, you're not wrong. <laughs> so the, I, you know, the, the Tulsa game was not pretty. Um, I do. I listened to your guys' reaction pod. Totally agree. Like the defense actually picked them up. But in a system in which, you know, hey, it's supposed to be plug and play, right? Mike Gundy, offensive mind. You got one of the best running backs in the business. You got Tylen Wallace, one of the better wide receivers in the game. There shouldn't be that much of a sputter because Spencer Sanders goes down. And just a reminder, Spencer Sanders wasn't, you know, All-American last year. It's not like you lost... Uh, Trevor Lawrence or somebody of that caliber. So I know, and I, the one thing that I'll say, okay, is the, the emotional toll that it can take on a team. When you lose your starting quarterback, that's oh, like you get, that's a gut punch. And they did respond to that and it came back and it was fine. They got the W, which is all that matters. I picked Texas to win the big 12 coming in. I feel a lot better about my Texas pick than I would, if I would have picked Oklahoma state to win it. All right. Uh, You're, yes, I would, feel, <laughs> I would feel better about Texas if I had picked them too. All right, Tom, what was your number three? Uh, my number three is no weeks off in the Sun Belt. It Ooh. is just top to bottom, nothing but greatness. And you can't, <laughs> I mean, we saw like Louisiana the week after pulling off a huge upset and getting themselves ranked in the top 20, 
They go on the road to play Georgia State, and they needed a late comeback to get into overtime to beat Georgia State in overtime to stay undefeated and stay ranked. Uh, Appalachian State went out of conference, obviously, to play Marshall, but they fell 17-7, to which kind of opens the door in the conference to other teams, I think, makes it a little more competitive. You know, Texas State, a team that came in 0-2, went up against ULM and looked very solid in a 38-17 win. I just think the Sun Belt this year, I mean, it's obviously it's going to be more in the spotlight and probably less so now as more conferences are coming back going forward, but... I'm just looking at this as a conference where, no, it's not going to be competing for playoff. No, it's not going to be competing for major bowl games. But this could be a really fun race to follow week in and week out. Uh, 100%. How many teams do you think are, like, where do you draw the line in the Sun Belt in terms of the tiers? I think think App State, even after that loss, I still have them on my top tier, although I'm not as confident in them as I was, obviously. I think Louisiana is up there in the top tier. And then after that, I don't, I mean, Coastal, I feel like the way it's played through two weeks, granted, it's been Kansas and it's been Campbell, but I think Coastal's looked like it's got some athletes and it looks like it has some potential to do something special. So I think that they're a team that's kind of on the precipice just outside that top tier that could maybe flirt with getting to the the Sunbelt title game. So, And then Arkansas State, I think I would still have a notch over Coastal, but those are four teams that I feel like, from what I've seen through the first few weeks of the season, have a legitimate shot to win that conference. Fun stuff. Uh, my number three is that the boats are not sinking in Annapolis. We are not <laughs> taking on water. This Navy football team saw potentially its season falling apart. Navy ran just two plays in Tulane territory in the first half and had a 24 nothing deficit at halftime. Uh, the starting quarterback, they pulled from the game. It was it was Miles Fells in this one. They brought back the starter from the BYU blowout, Dallin Morris. And what were we doing? We were throwing the ball, baby. We were throwing touchdown yeah. passes at Navy, bringing in some aerial attack. The defense was huge in the second half, and they ended up winning the game 27-24. to 24. It was... Um, you know, 33-yard field goal by Bijan Nichols at the horn to be able to have that walk-off victory. And it's just, you had that awful feeling after the 55-3 to loss. You had the ownership from the coaching staff and saying, we, sh- we should have been tackling. And, and long time to sort of let all of that sit and simmer and then to look like it's almost going to happen again and be able to turn things around. You know, I, I was absolutely ready to, in my just sort of, mental AAC power rankings just 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 to drop uh drop navy to the bottom almost make it easy like okay we're we're just not even really going to going to worry about them that much but to see that turn around I I thought it was awesome this is a program that was very very frustrated with uh, falling out of that uh, front runner seat in the commander in chief trophy and falling out of that spot where they were one of the first really good teams in the conference. So, man, I lesson learned the boats are not sinking. Navy is still a t- team to be reckoned with. I wrote today uh, for our defensive coordinator of the week. I, uh, I did it for um, Brian Newberry, the defensive coordinator for Navy. They, in the third quarter, uh, Tulane had five drives four three and outs, and then a one-play drive that was a safety. They had 16 yards on – no, si, yeah, 16 yards on 15 plays or something like Sick. that. Um, it was uh, it, it was a it was quite a quite a defensive effort in that, in that second half. All right, number two story, Tom. My number two story is that NC State will not be the worst team in the ACC this year. I thought, you know, I, we talked about it on the reaction pad. I only got to see the last, the fourth quarter of that game, but my concern with NC state coming into the season was obviously it's offense considering how horrible it's offense looked last year at scoring only 16 points a game in the ACC. So for them to come out the way they did, put up 45 points on wake and get that win, I think is huge. And we were talking about stinky lines earlier with that Tennessee, South Carolina game, make a mental note listeners Virginia Tech coach Justin Fuente said earlier today that with things going on with their roster, he's not even sure Virginia Tech is going to be able to play this week. NC State is currently a seven-point dog against the Hokies on Saturday who haven't played a game this year, who might not be able to play this week. So I know we've talked about it. We don't want to put bets in too early, but 
maybe this is a situation where we might want to do it. That was uh, my number two as well. I said NC State can hang with anyone, so anyone on its schedule, anyone, because mm-hmm. I look at it, Virginia Tech, as you mentioned, you're going up to Blacksburg. Virginia Tech has a bunch of starters back. They sort of caught their rhythm at the end of last year. I understand why Virginia Tech is ranked, but I am also not a believer. And so NC State, they absolutely can hang there. NC State can hang with Pitt, which against Syracuse proved they're still going to be pitting it up out there. Pitt's just Pitt's just going to be pity sometimes. Uh, <laughs> UVA, Duke, I mean, even like, so UNC and Miami are the the two toughest foes that are on that schedule. And I think that with both those teams, you're dealing with high-powered offenses, but I still think that the way that NC State was running the ball with Bam Knight and Ricky Person, they could still keep up. They still could hang in a shootout. So I am not projecting NC State to go eight and two. I am not, definitely not saying 10 and zero, oh, but I do think that in there's not going to be a single game on this schedule where NC State is not going to have a chance because of how that offensive line is blocking, how those running backs are running, and how that offense looked with Bailey Hockman running the show. So I, uh, my number two was that NC State can hang with anyone on its schedule. So can, as, uh, as someone that um, was trying to jump on the NC State bandwagon as early as possible once that game started rolling along, uh, I would like to make one prediction. I think... I agree with you guys that NC State is legitimately good um, or legitimately competitive, have some things that are really good. I also think that somewhere along the way this year, they're going to lose like 45 to three. Like, <laughs> I, I think they're going to be good and I think they're going to be competitive in almost every game, but there's going to be a game where someone jumps on them quick and they get a little overwhelmed and they're going to have to call on Bailey Hockman to throw the ball around to, to get back in the game. And it's not going to go well. Yeah, I think they're going to have to play sort of their, you know, to, they're going to have to dictate things to a certain degree. Um, so I think that's that's in the cards for them at some point. But I would also say this, like in a in a typical year, like in a regular, I don't know what the coaching climate turnover is going to be like this year. I think in a in a typical year, Dave Doran probably would have gotten fired this year. I think. We're just go if we're just like again calling this a typical year and it's going to have the typical typical coaching turnover. I would now say based on what they looked like in game one, like I would I would no longer have that expectation because I think that their offense looks looks pretty good and I think that their defensive line is going to continue to get better. This was an interesting theory that was pitched to me, um, but like. Have you guys ever circled around the the mindset of the NC State fan? Like it's there's a lot of negativity built into it. It can kind of be defeatist from time to time. Like you just and there was a suggestion that NC State was in a better position with no fans in the stadium because they didn't have to hear the groans because there was like there was the pick six that Wake Forest had. You know they kept climbing back into the game. There was a lot of moments in that game where it looks like NC State was going to blow it and that they were not going to be able to capitalize on jumping up ahead fourteen nothing. And that so by not having all of those sighs, those groans, and yes, maybe even the boos that they hear from their own fans <laughs> that they were in a more positive mindset and able to come out with a win benefiting from not having fans. I 100% agree with that philosophy. <laughs> and I think there's a couple schools like, I, I don't know if they would have won that game from as a player, the booze, the groans from your home crowd are a thousand times worse than the FUs from the visitors and, you know, the insults hurled from the visitors. Like, you're on the road. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to get that. You're at home and they're saying, you suck, or here we go again. (laughs) That is the worst (laughs) feeling in the world. So I think you're on to something. I think it's absolutely true. Just the fog of negative mojo. (laughs) Just literally, like, weighting them down, making them run slower. I like that. Uh, All right, number two. I guess we still need Barton and Danny, right? Who wants? Yep. Uh, so I'll go. I mean, mine, the, we've been talking about it a little bit, but just the very declarative statement of Rhett Lashley is a, or was a good hire as an offensive coordinator. Now it's like important to note, like my wording here, like he's a good hire. Like I'm not saying, I am not taking that game 
and turning it into Rhett Lashley is a superstar and whoa, Miami is like, things are fixed, like no problems anywhere. Like for, for the rest of this year, like hope we hang on to him and he doesn't get hired away next year, get a head job. Like none of that. I'm just saying he's a good hire. And that's, that's an, like, that's an important development. That's, uh, that, that gives them a chance. They, they're going to have some tough games. They've got to figure out how to win. They're not going to be playing Louisville's defense every week. Um, but I think just that he, was a, that he is, was a good hire is, is, is good news for Miami. Agree. I mean, you know, it's the, you made a big deal out of the Dan Enos hire. That didn't work out. So <laughs> now let's, uh, let's give it a run with Rhett Lashley. So far, so good. All right, Danny, what's your number two? All right, my number two is we were spot on. Like, like we were Oklahoma State, might have been wrong on if you had them up there. ACC, we were spot on. The Clemson versus Notre Dame is going to be the storyline this year, going to be the ACC championship. And this is more about like we, we nothing faltered that with Clemson. After the Notre Dame versus Duke, I think there was a little bit of, oh, wait, maybe they're not ready. Ian Book, whoa, wait, he's a little setback. Why didn't they dominate that game? I thought that was the perfect game versus Duke as a wake-up call for Notre Dame. And then, unfortunately, for Jeff Scott and USF, that's who they took out their frustrations on. But they went out there. They could have called their number. And I'm not saying it's a great win, but they looked the part of most, you know, second most dominant team in the ACC. So I I feel like, you know, you were a little bit maybe cautious about predicting a Notre Dame-Clemson rematch in the ACC title game. I think you're right back saying, yep, this is going to be the matchup that we see. Okay, so I've got a so. Do you th- you feel that way? Certainly, they look great. They they killed them. You know, so whatever. But a week ago, they kind of just piddled around with Duke. Yep. And this week, we just saw Duke get smoked by Boston College. So is there is there no conflicting sort of emotions here in terms of how things went this past week, or are you just you were that sold on the performance no. you saw? I just feel like I think sometimes we take too much into struggles, but if you struggle and win, that can be a great thing. You know, the coaches can get after you all week in practice. Hey, you know, you guys, everybody's telling you, I can just hear a coach yelling at me and yelling at a team, you know, in that, uh, you know, Monday film session saying, oh, yeah, everyone, you you guys thought, Ian Book, you thought you were going to be a first round pick and you guys thought you were playing for the ace, So they're going to ride you all week at practice. And so then it kind of is that wake up call and you refocus, you get a little, you get humbled, you go back to that sense of urgency. And I feel like they got back to there. So I'm not trying to sugarcoat the Duke game, but I do feel like Notre Dame showed what they're capable of doing. And I know it wasn't a good opponent. I just feel better about them. Like I don't, the Duke, I don't think is very good. I never thought, I didn't think they were good when they almost like, it was more about Notre Dame struggling week one than it was about, Oh, maybe Duke is going to be a surprise team in the ACC. To piggyback off of that, my number one takeaway headline, whatever you want to go for this weekend. After watching Notre Dame play twice and seeing Miami, Derek King's the second best quarterback in the ACC. Ooh. And I think that is going to have a huge impact on Miami going forward. I mean, we, we talked about it on the reaction pod. I think that Miami now is legitimately not a contender to win the conference, not a contender to compete with Clemson, but I think it is now in the conversation as a team that we have to take seriously as a possible opponent for Clemson in the ACC championship game. And a big reason is kind of what Barton said. Rhett Lashley has been a very good hire for Miami. He's very good fit with what they're trying to do on offense and the personnel that they have bringing in King. And I think that the way King has played, because he showed more of a passing threat in that game against Louisville than he did in the first game against UAB. And seeing Ian Book, who has looked somewhat, I mean, not bad, but he's looked like Ian Book. And they're really, he's one of those quarterbacks you see a lot of who has a lot of promise as a freshman. And you think, all right, if this kid gets better, he's going to be really good. But then that growth never really comes. Ian Book, I feel like, has been the same guy for four years. And I think that he's a good quarterback on a good team that can help you win and make sure you don't lose games. I think Derek King is a guy who is a very good quarterback who can help you win games on his own. So you got Derek King over Phil Jakovic. I can't transitive that BC Duke game. Duke played like Duke played a very unduke game in, in that contest like that. This is not my number one takeaway, but I mean, there were penalties. There were like Zay flowers 
had a 61-yard touchdown reception that was just busted coverage. He was wide, The best wide receiver was wide open in the middle of the field. That's not supposed to happen. They weren't good tackling in the open field. They had three lost fumbles and two interceptions. Duke is able to close the gap with teams that have better talent and physicality by being really, really sharp on the details. Like That is the, the David Cutcliffe brand, and it, they didn't have the energy that BC did, and they were awful on the details, and that was the result. They got beat 26-6. I would caution anyone like I, I I agree like that was a weird game <clears throat> and I would caution anyone to sort of take from that and assume Boston College is going to like you know emerge as a you know mid top tier ACC team like it's a five turnover game like they caught some big plays downfields in the second half Duke turned it over three times like in the red zone mm-hmm. uh, twice inside the 10 um I give a ton of credit to Jeff Hathley and Boston College for getting it done, but I think that I think to take that and um, and and sort of extrapolate that out as as Boston College uh, a, a commentary on what Boston College is going to be like twenty points better than Duke, I think is dangerous. So my number one is on the other side of that Miami Louisville game, and I say this with all of the love and adoration for its own history and also with all of the criticism that is packed into this statement, Louisville looks like a really fun Conference USA team from the early 2000s. <laughs> like, like that, you know, we had 300 yards passing from Malik Cunningham. We had you know 150 yards almost from Javian Hawkins, 100 yards receiving from Tutu Atwell. Like, Everything that we expected offensively from Louisville was there, but there was just pastures of open grass against that defense for Miami's wide receivers and for Derek King to start picking apart. And so I think back to, and I've, I've mentioned this before and I wanted to, to look it up, but Bruce Feldman did an all-access piece. He was working for CBS Sports in 2013, leading up to the much-hyped Johnny Manziel against Bama Part 2. And that was where uh, Kevin Sumlin and a few of those other assistants were talking about the glory days at Houston in Conference USA, or as they liked to call it, and this is the way it's pronounced, Kiyusa. So <laughs> Louisville looks like it's back in the Kiyusa days where you're going out to do your practice and there's like jet engines roaring in the background and like maybe, you know, maybe it's not the bubble. Like it, it is very much a wide open, fun offense, porous defense, and there's going to be some games that are awesome and you're going to have a high entertainment value but until they shore things up on the defensive side it's just not it's not going to be um easy to take them seriously as a contender to win against the best teams in the conference so i i say this with all the love and adoration for the days of the cusa but louisville looks like a very fun conference usa team from the early 2000s i got a question for tom sure Last year when Jaron Williams threw six touchdowns and zero interceptions versus Louisville, did you say he was the second best quarterback in the ACC? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we've seen this story on. before. We've seen this story before with the Miami Hurricanes specifically. No, I like I think if you're so this I'll give you my one because it does tie in. But like I don't want to sound like I'm just taking shots at Derek King in Miami. My number one lesson learned the state of Florida is back. Because, and well, I'll explain what I mean. So when, when I was playing, this is a long time ago, before conference pride was a thing. Like, I had, like no one talked about the SEC is the best or the Big Ten is the best. No one talked about that. No one cared. It was, most of the, the pride was on like where you went to high school. That's where guys argue. Yeah, the state of Florida has the best high school players. And there was a saying that the national championship always run, always ran through the state of Florida. And I think that's where we are back to with the Florida Gators looking like legit contenders with Miami looking like legit contenders. And unfortunately for Florida State fans, it's UCF looking like (laughs) legit contenders potentially this year. And they have been puffing out their chest and saying we're the best team in the state. I don't know if I would go as far as that with them, but I do think in a weird year, UCF showed you know, I was going to say Dylan Gabriel might be, you know, the best quarterback in the state. Like it, Derek King might be the, the third best quarterback in the state of Florida. Uh, if you throw Kyle Trask in there, like Dylan Gabriel was impressive. But in a weird year, if they, they did what they needed to do. Now, if they run the table 
and things get wild and wacky, I don't think I, I I'm kind of coming around to this thought that maybe UCF does have an outside chance at that. And I'm saying one percent, but I think it's more than they've ever had of actually cracking the playoff. Let's see what happens. Let's see what Florida State becomes. Let's see what Georgia uh, Georgia Tech becomes this season. But the state of Florida is back. I I agree with Danny in that UCF at the end of the season could very much deserve a spot in the playoff. I don't think they're going to get it because I just don't think the CFP wants to set that precedent going forward because they can't just say, well, it was 2020. We were all a little crazy that year, so we threw them in. (laughs) And it opens the door in future years. Like if UCF or any other group of five teams say goes undefeated, they're going to be like, well, why aren't you putting them in this year? I think the CFP wants to put in, you know, power five schools. I don't know, man. If they if they hang fifty burgers on everybody, like they to me, they need to create a conversation that nobody in that conference is in their league. Like when they play Cincinnati, they need to throttle Cincinnati. Like when they play Memphis, they need to win that game handily because then you create this conversation of well, don't you want to see this awesome UCF team against one of the best teams in the country. And if it becomes enticing as part of the conversation, then I mean, the selection committee are human beings that pay attention to everything that's going on. Then maybe you've got a little bit more of a a chance of being able to get there. Yeah. But if Georgia tech finishes like two and eight, that win isn't going to mean a whole lot. No, but I I think that's, they need to have Georgia tech be good and they kind of need Florida state to be good. So that like, you know, the, the, the the transitive property win looks even better. Like they would love for that to happen. They need Memphis to be able to get back on a field sometime soon so they can play that game. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Uh, All right, Barton, what's your number one? My number one is um, Notre Dame. It's time for Notre gritty. This is this is a team that has um, tried to modernize their offense, become a little bit more spreadish, all for good reason. That's where offenses are going. I'm not knocking that, but they don't like their strengths this year are not on the outside. We 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 identified that in week one. We identified that preseason. Braden Lindsay getting healthy, Kevin Austin getting healthy, like maybe those will will help add a little spark. But ultimately, Notre Dame's strengths this year are within the tackle box and within the tackle box extended, basically, because you, the, the tight ends are awesome. Um, Tommy Trimble is awesome. Michael Mayer is awesome. They've got two or three more guys that they can play. And their offensive line is really good. Uh, they've got... They've got uh, Chris Tyree, the true freshman running back, is legit. Uh, Kyron Williams, the starter, is legit. Sebo Flimster had a, a good game against USF, so they've got a, kind of a fleet of running backs. So no, if Notre Dame is going to do the thing that everyone wants them to do, which is be a contender to Clemson, be some sort of foil there, then the, the only way to do it, is to embrace the idea that this this has to be a down and dirty, nasty ass, three tight end, pound the rock type of team. And you can do it with some of the window dressing and the motions and the, you know, the whatever you want to do. But get down and get nasty if you're gonna be Clemson. And that's hard to do because they got Brian Brzee and that crowd coming at you on the defensive line. But that's their strength. Own it. Let's roll. Do you think it's in Brian Kelly's DNA to allow that to happen? No more Mr. Nice Guy. (laughs) 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 Sir, we have never, ever considered you to be the nice guy. How, how how Brian Kelly out here thinking that he's some kind of soft teddy bear trying to motivate this team to go and finish off a, a thro- 50 point shutout of USA. Hey, you know what, Barton? It sounds like that you and Brian Kelly are in lockstep right there. Y'all are simpatico. We're going to be mean. We're going to be gritty. We're going to be the bullies on the block. I mean, you know, you talk about it and it's kind of the good Stanford. And remember how you've been tracking the the downfall right. of Stanford? That's mm-hmm. the that that's a very Stanford model right there. At least in terms of like when they were playing for the Rose Bowl, Pac-12 championships. Yeah, I mean they 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 can like Notre Dame is in a position to create mismatches with the tight end position right now. So like let's just let's just do it. You know, get their bigs on your bigs and and go beat them. 
Good stuff. Uh, make sure if you are not doing it already that you are tuned in to CBS Sports HQ Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. It's the Cover 3 on CBS Sports HQ. As always, make sure that you download the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, leave five-star ratings for Danny saving UMass football and Danny saving Big Ten. If you want your team or your conference brought back, Get in touch with Danny Cannell. You can follow him on Twitter <laughs> at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fennell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Up the villa. <laughs>